of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Amen. Now, first of all, let me say what is true of women here is true of men as well. Uh, it is better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a contentious man as well. Family strife can be at times miserable. Uh, and the proverb here is saying that uh, we should strive for peace. One of the ways that uh, probably is in view here is that they were challenging these young men to be careful who they marry is probably the first idea here that they uh, look for a woman who would be uh, somebody they could dwell with uh, peaceably. But I do want to talk a little bit about uh, problems in the home. And uh, this uh, most of what I'm getting to you, giving you today, actually, I got uh, when I was taking notes back in 1997 at a conference hosted by uh, Tim Garnett's old church, Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah. And Dr. John F. Bettler came and spoke and uh, dealt with the subject of how to help people who fight all the time. That is, how do we overcome contentiousness um, in our uh, home and in ourselves? Now, um, so I'm going to share here a little bit from his own lecture here. First of all. Bettler notes in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, uh, the kind of what we call the competent to counsel passage that um, God has given gifts and graces uh, to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that we can in turn use uh, to help counsel one another. I think this is a day of professionalism where people tend to think, well, if I've got a problem, I need to go to a professional to get it fixed. That sometimes is true, and I'm not speaking uh, to against uh, going to professionals or professional counselors. Uh, I've used one myself on a couple occasions, but um, who was a pastor. Um, he said, uh, however, Bettler notes here in Romans uh, chapter 15 and verse 14, he's, Paul says, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another so that God does give us the ability here to help counsel uh, one another. And then we should look at James chapter four and following uh, what causes fights and quarrels among you. They don't they come from your desires that battle within you. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet but you do not have what you want. You quarrel and fight. That's from James chapter four, uh, verse one and two. So the idea here is that conflict um, equals a desire that often is greater than the demand for to, to fulfill it. The conflict equals a desire that ends up leading to a demand. And um, so I want to talk a little bit about the cure for contentiousness in, in the home here. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak and be patient with everyone. So notice here the Apostle Paul says we are to admonish and warn. That's one way we can deal with conflict, encourage, help. Uh, is the second and the third. Encourage is the second. Help is the third. 
And when we do this, um, we need to, first of all, understand ourselves. The Bible says if we're going to be of help uh, to others in, in you know, let's say, you know, parents helping a child uh, deal with a snag in their life. First of all, we need to look at ourselves, make sure we remove the log from our own eye as adults. Uh, the, the Bible says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not notice the log in your own? So the first place we have to start when we deal with the issue of contention is to look at ourselves, examine ourselves. Now, having done that, um, when there is conflict, one of the things you must do is to examine what might be the idols that are involved? What are the idols involved? Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, by an idol? What is an idol? Well, an idol uh, defined here, I think, by Bettler, a good desire gone bad. What is an idol? A good desire gone bad. Now, in the Old Testament, of course, idolatry was taking the desire to worship and it was corrupting it by worshiping something created Rather than the creator. You see this in Romans chapter one. The apostle Paul tells us that they suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness. Unbelievers do. And they, they take uh, something of the creation, an animal, four footed animal, and they make an image of it. And they bow down to that image. An idol is something you desire. And this is important for you teenagers to understand here. An idol is something you desire more than God. OK, something you crave want, desire more than God. Kind of it might the internal voice might be like this. If I only could have this in my life, I would be content. If I could just have dot, 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 my life would be perfect. Um, that probably is an idol. Now, how do we spot an idol in our life or the life of our families? Um, one thing that Bettler says is listen to the things about which you complain. Listen to the things about which you complain. It may be those things which frustrate your idol. One other thing we ought to do, how to spot an idol, is not only listen to what we complain about, but pray. We should pray to see the, the idols. Psalm 139, verse 23. Uh, let me read that to you. Psalm 139. Psalm about God's omniscience. And the psalmist says here, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So we should we should pray that God would search us. Now, how do we do that? Well, we we study the scriptures as we saw this morning and let the scriptures search us. We meditate. Meditation has been described as uh, kind of like putting hard candy in your mouth, boys and girls. And um, the point is to it's just you turn it over and, and meditation is kind of taking an idea, taking a thought and just turning it over in your mind. And what are we turning over here? Well, we're trying to examine, you know, are, are there some things in my life um, that need correction? You know, why? Why did I get so angry uh, at dad, why did I become so intemperate in my tone of voice there? You know, what what was it that within me that gave that uh, unkind response? Uh, kind of trying to meditate, analyze uh, sometimes our own 
mistakes and failures, sins, and thinking those over and, and asking the Lord to search us, help us here. One illustration that uh, Beltler gives is a father who might come home maybe from work at dusk, obviously not in the summertime in West Georgia, but maybe in the winter. And he trips over his daughter's stuff as he's trying to walk up the sidewalk and he blows his top uh, at her. And he suggests that there an idol has been hooked, um, especially if it's a reoccurring anger. And he says, what you have to do is you have to analyze that. You know, okay, I tripped and I got very angry at, at my child for leaving all her toys in the pathway. And he says what really might be going on there, too, is though this. Number one, the idol is saying, I must be comforted and never inconvenienced. I must be comforted and never inconvenienced. Number two, you, daughter, must convenience me. And three, you, daughter, didn't do your job. You must be bad and must be punished. Uh, that would be the, the idol uh, kind of speaking there. And the realization, says Bettler, is that you just sacrificed your daughter in blowing up at her for that idol. Um, so he says that repentance in these cases sometimes needs to go more deeply than we realize. We tend to think, okay, I need to repent for yelling or being intemperate in my tone of voice. Uh, that and, and something uglier needs to be repented of possibly there. And that is the problem is that I don't love enough. Um, that uh, I, I am not loving my family enough. Uh, that's what needs to be repented of. Now, another thing that he says in dealing with uh, the issue of contention is the need for understanding one another. The need for understanding specifically really others. After we you know, seek to analyze ourselves and our own faults and problems, our sins, uh, Jesus was a sympathetic high priest. Uh, he was tempted at every point, yet without sin. Uh, he suffered so that he would know what it's like in this uh, fallen world. Now, a question that Bettler raises uh, is when we deal with the subject of contention, he says, ask this question. What is it like to live with you? <laughs> what is it like to live with you? Now, I know some of you are like, oh, teenagers, you're going like, it's joy. <laughs> um, joy, joy, joy. Um, what is it like to live with you? For example, men. Let's speak to the men here. What is it like to live under your authority? Would you ever want to live under your authority? That's a really good question, isn't it? Uh, would you ever want to live under your authority? My, you know, my nephew uh, is about to live a miserable life for the next three months here. As he leaves uh, for Rhode Island to be uh, entering into officer candidate school with the Navy, where they unleash uh, Marine sergeants on these recent college grads to let them know what it's like to live under authority for three months before they give them any. After they get through, they're commissioned as lieutenants and will be officers able to give the command. It's actually one of the neat parts of the ceremony is. As soon as they complete their graduation on graduation day, the sergeants who have been yelling at them for three months are the first to salute them. Uh, but the, the thing that the military is doing there is you want to feel what it's like to live under authority and to have to, you know, uh, receive commands. All right. Well, well, before you give a command, we're going to make you understand what it's really like. And uh, and so they do that. They break them down, kick the civilian out of them. 
and, you know, kind of mold them into the Navy's image so that when they are put in a position of authority, hopefully uh, they'll be good stewards of it. What's it like to live under you and, and your authority? Um, he, Bettler gives an illustration here. Uh, the man uh, with a wife and the wife who never said, I'm sorry. Sometimes we have to understand it may be even more complex um, than we realize. It may go back to something within your spouse's upbringing that causes them to respond sometimes to the way uh, they do to certain things. Um, for example, he gives the illustration of the wife who wouldn't say, I'm sorry. Uh, what do the words I'm sorry look like to you? Now, to most people, they probably would look like some kind of contrition over something said or done that was wrong. But it might be uh, in the case of this woman. She grew up in an immigrant household where her father demanded that there would always be a hot meal on the table when he got home from work. But the problem was the time he got home from work was never consistent. And he never told her when he would be home. And so if dinner was not ready, uh, he, he blew up. If it was ready but had grown cold, he would launch into a tirade. To which this girl, then girl, would watch her mother always say, I'm sorry to that abuse. So here's a girl who grows up to become a woman and a wife of her own now. And she has lived with this for many years. And she grows up thinking, I will never marry a man to whom I have to say I'm sorry. And so uh, you have uh, this problem. So Bettler says you, you have to look sympathetically sometimes when there uh, are problems in contention. Now, you know, obviously this woman needs to realize that there are occasions she does need to uh, apologize uh, to others. But it helps if we understand why that's such a troubling sentence for her. Um, does the problem of never saying I'm sorry need to be corrected? Absolutely. But understanding her perspective um, as a husband, I think we'll better understand which ministry approach to take. So um, all of those things, let me just summarize here uh, again, the main points. Number one, you are competent uh, to help minister to one another and to encourage. Um, recognize what the source of conflicts often are. Often desires that lead to demands that are unmet. Behind those desires may be an idol. Uh, we need to uh, understand ourselves if we are to minister to others. We need to examine ourselves. We need to understand and examine others, including uh, their background. And uh, if we do, I think some of these things, it may help us in uh, dealing with this conflict because we don't want any of you uh, to be living on the corner of your house here. Let's pray together.